Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, it's Dan Amender here. Join us again for this novel adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a collaboration between the Cardio Nerds, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, Cardio Nerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, hope you're enjoying the intro music, custom mix for Cardio Nerds by student Dr. Hirsch Elhetz, a.k.a. DJ Elhetz, medical student at USC and Cardio Nerds Academy intern of House Thomas. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to section 6.2 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Christian Faberg-Anderson, answered first by Houston Methodist internal medicine resident, Dr. Najah Khan, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Jadeep Patel. Dr. Patel graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University Cardiology Fellowship and is now a preventative cardiologist at the Johns Hopkins Hospital and a member of the Chikaroni Center for the Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease. Christian, what do you have for us today? Hey, Dan, I've got a question about the medical management of a patient with heart failure, but I need a little help figuring out the answer. Here it is. A 60-year-old black woman with a history of hypertension and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, EF of 40%, presents to clinic for follow-up. She's currently doing well with NYHA class 2 symptoms. She's taking Carvedilol 25 mg BID, Sacubitril Valsartan 97 103 mg BID, and spironolactone 25 milligrams daily, all of which have been well tolerated. In clinic, her blood pressure is 125 over 80 and her heart rate is 55. Routine labs are within normal limits, including a creatinine of 1, potassium of 4, and hemoglobin A1c of 6. What's the most appropriate next step in her management? A. No change in management. B. Reduce beta blocker. C. Add an SGLT2 inhibitor, dipagliflozin or impagliflozin. D. Add varisiguat. E. Add hydralazine isosorbide dinitrate. Najah, do you think you'd be able to help us with this question? Absolutely, Christian. In this case, the correct answer would be C. We would add an SGLT2 inhibitor, dapagliflozin or impagliflozin. For patients with symptomatic HEFREF, neurohormonal antagonists like ACE inhibitors, ARBs, ARNIs, beta blockers, and MRAs improve survival and reduce the risk of heart failure hospitalization. This patient is already on these agents. The addition of an SGLT2 inhibitor on top of neurohormonal blockade reduces the risk of CV death and worsening heart failure in patients with symptomatic HEFREF and is the next best step for this patient. This is a class 1 recommendation with a level of evidence A. Verisigua may be considered in patients with symptomatic HEFREF with heart failure worsening despite already being on maximally tolerated neurohormonal blockade which is a class 2B recommendation, level of evidence B, but first-line therapies should be started first. 
Hydralazine isosorbide dinitrate should be considered in self-identified black patients or people who have an EF of less than 35% or less than 45% with dilated LV with class 3 to 4 symptoms despite maximally tolerated neurohormonal blockade. That's a class 2A recommendation level of evidence B, but is not the next best step here. She is tolerating the beta blocker without adverse effects, so there is no reason to decrease the dosage. So, the main takeaway here would be, in patients with HEFREP or an EF less than 40%, SGLT2 inhibitors are considered first-line therapy in addition to ACE inhibitors, ARBs, ARNIs, beta blockers, and MRAs to reduce the risk of heart failure, hospitalization, and death. Importantly, this is irrespective of the presence of diabetes. So, Dr. Patel, do you have anything else to add? Great points. I agree with you, Naja. I think the key point here is that you want to optimize her heart failure management by ensuring that she is on the so-called four pillars of heart failure therapy, and this is consistent with our own American guidelines. SGLT2s exert their effects through a multitude of pathways, including osmotic diuresis and naturesis. They decrease sympathetic nervous system overdrive. They possibly improve myocardial efficiency, decrease inflammation and oxidative stress, and also have metabolic benefits such as lowering hemoglobin A1C, vascular stiffness and blood pressure, as well as body weight. From a safety standpoint, empagliflozin and canagliflozin are approved as long as the GFR is over 30 and more than 25 for dapagliflozin. There is also a higher risk of urosepsis and genitourinary infections. So I typically ask about a history of recurrent infections and have an open conversation with patients, keeping in mind the importance of personal hygiene and that if an infection were to occur, treatment is available. I would also be cautious in those with lower extremity limb ulcerations or non-healing wounds, given a higher risk of lower extremity limb ulceration, soft tissue skin infections, and of course, risk of amputation, as we've heard about. You mentioned varicicwat and the answer choices. Recall, this is a guanylate cyclase stimulator that was only recently approved for use in the United States, I think as of January 2021. It is indicated for chronic symptomatic heart failure among those with an ejection fraction of less than 45% who were already on standard therapy. In the New England trial, 60% of patients were on at least triple therapy with a beta blocker, MRA, and an ACE-ARB or ARNI. Ultimately, what they found was that the incidence of death from cardiovascular causes or hospitalizations for heart failure was lower in the Verisigwat group. I think another medication worth mentioning that was not mentioned in the answer choices is Ibabardine. Typically, this is reserved to lower the heart rate in patients with heart failure who are on maximally tolerated beta blocker therapy, but still not a target. That being said, I would keep this medication in mind as well. Really nice question, Christian. I hope that was helpful. Wow, Dr. Patel. Naja, thanks for taking us through that amazing overview. As a medical student, I've started hearing more and more about the cardiovascular benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors on the wards. I'll need to study up on Verisigwat and Evabradine too. Those are some amazing clinical pearls that I think will help many folks listening on, certainly including me. Thanks again for sharing your expertise. Beep.